This is HPR episode 2788 entitled Looping in Haskell. It is hosted by Tuku Toroto and is about 47 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is Tutorto describes some loop-like constructs in Haskell. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Radio and this is Tuukka Tuerto. Today I'm going to talk about some looping constructs in Haskell. So uh, Haskell is a functional programming and uh, all the data in it is immutable. Which means that once you have said that value of something is something that value will never ever change anymore. And that makes uh, having a regular for loops pretty hard because you cannot have a value that increments in each after each loop. But looping is a still very essential for programming, so there's a different kinds of patterns for specific cases in Haskell. In, in a general sense, there's a couple, uh, three maybe, main types of loops, and if you're looping through a list, one is that you are modifying values. Another one is that you are taking some of the values from the list and putting them in another list. And third one is that you are using all those values to calculate some end value. And if you have a, in a still in general sense, if you have a loop from N to M and do some calculation based on that, its essence is the same as looping over an array or list that has numbers from N to M. So the first tool and uh, that is usually thought is recursion. And there's many kind, many kinds of many different ways of doing recursion in Haskell. And one of the canonical hello world examples in Haskell is called calculating Fibonacci numbers. This is a sequence of numbers that show up in a nature quite, quite often in very, very many different places. For example, the sunflower seeds in the kernel form the Fibonacci pattern. But, so, it's a, it's a sequence of numbers where every number is the sum of the two previous ones. So it starts like 0, 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, and so on. So the first first way of calculating that is the doing the, just a regular regular recursion. And if we have a function called fibs that takes an integer and 
produces integral. We can write three cases for this. We say that fifth zero equals zero. This is the one of the terminal cases. So whenever you call this function with a value zero, you will get zero back. And then fifth one equals one, meaning that whenever you call this function with a one, you get one back. These two are the starting values that you cannot calculate based on the previous values. Then is the general case, FIPS n equals FIPS open bracket n minus 1 close bracket plus FIPS open bracket n minus 2 close bracket. And this will calculate that if you put a number that doesn't match on the, any of those two previous cases, so essence greater than 1, it will first calculate the Fibonacci number that is n one that is from the that, that you get when you minus a, minus one from the n. So Fibs n minus one is the previous Fibonacci number, and then you sum it with the Fibs n minus two, which is the one before the previous Fibonacci number. So this will, if you put three, uh, sorry, if you put two in this this the function it will calculate FIPS uh, 1 plus FIPS 0 and those matches to the two previous cases and you get value of 1. If you put 3 you will get FIPS 2 plus FIPS 1 which is uh, now, now, now I have to calculate actually, then you are getting a 2. So, it, this has been defined, the Fibonacci number has been defined in the terms of recursion. And this is a, this works really well for the small numbers, but if you have a, if you, if you want to calculate a bigger Fibonacci number, then the recursive way of doing that because it will calculate all the numbers before this multiple times even because if you have a Fibonacci if you're going that this with the 10 then it will calculate you to in order to calculate the, what's the 10th number it has to calculate 9 and 8 and in order to calculate the 9 it has to calculate uh, 8 and 7 and in order to calculate the 8 it has to calculate seven and six, so it will it will calculate numbers, previous numbers multiple time even, to get the final answer. So, so while this is a um, easy to follow example, it almost looks like the mathematical definition of the Fibonacci sequence or Fibonacci numbers. It is really slow. There's a faster ways of calculating these things, but uh, some of those are really get really hard, really matchy and I'm not going to talk about those I might I'll try to remember to include a link into the show notes for the page that has multiple ways of doing this another way that uses the recursion is to calculate them in the instead of calculating a specific one is to define what what what, what all Fibonacci numbers are we just define a, a list of, of integers. 
And in, in Haskell, there's a operator colon. So that that on the left side is a value, on, on the right side is a list. And it produces a list where the first element is that value and the rest of the list is appended behind of it. And it's, that's, what it, that's what we are going to use here. There's also a function called chipfit that takes a function and two lists and it produces a new list that has been that has been created by taking first elements of those lists using them with that function and then taking second elements of both lists and using those with the function and so on so that's where the name comes comes from chip fit it's, it's like a chipper that combines two lists into one so now that we know those, we can define all Fibonacci numbers. And this is all Fibs equals zero, colon, one, colon, chip fit, open bracket, plus, close bracket, all Fibs, open bracket, tail, all, all Fibs, close bracket. And that's it. So what, the, what does this do is define a list that the first element is zero, Second element is one, and rest is a list that you get when you take this list that you that we are defining and chip that with plus. So you are summing the elements. You take the all fips, which is the whole list, and then you take tail of the all fips, which is everything but the first element. So the Third element of the list is 0 plus 1, which is 1. Fourth element of the list is the 1 plus 1, which is 2, and so on. And this is really funny way of, in my opinion, in my opinion, when I, I mean, when I first saw this way of calculating things, I couldn't wrap my head around how is this even possible, because you are defining a list in terms of it, itself, and this list is essentially it's infinite. It, ha it contains all Fibonacci numbers. So if you if you are defining a list like this, why isn't it immediately immediately running out of the memory? But this is because Haskell is a non-strict language. It evaluates things as little as usually as little as possible. It doesn't evaluate value values until absolutely necessarily required or if it has or if it's specifically instructed to evaluate something. For example, in most pro programming languages when you are calling a function, the function application first first you are evaluate the parameters that are going inside of the function and then you evaluate the result of the function. In Haskell the values that are given as a parameters aren't evaluated when, when they are given to the function. If, if, if there's a function call that produces a value and that, that value is given as a parameter, like, like there's a, for example, if a function parameter is a function call in, in itself to something, that function call isn't evaluated until that parameter is needed inside of that another function. 
So this this is this is the reason why the, why you can build an infinite list of Fibonacci numbers without running out of memory. If you were to if if you were to print this out on the console, for example, then it will it would take a while and you would eventually run out of the memory. But you can all, always, for example, take first hundred elements of the list and print those out, and then you are not running out of the memory. Or you can skip first ten thousand elements and then take one. Then you are then you are ke- getting ten thousand first Fibonacci number, and it's it's really fast. I I, I tried it in in my old computer. It, the answer came immediately, while in the previous Fibonacci calculation it. I didn't, I didn't wait until it would have completed. So this, that's another another way of doing a recursion. And if you if you if we were to add, um, if we if we had a list of integers and we wanted to add one to each of those lists, this this is a one one looping looping construct that you are going through a list and adding one to the elements. In Haskell, you cannot, you cannot modify a list. You have to create a new one. So, so if we had a, a function called add one that takes a list of integers and produces a new list of integers, we, we could define it. One way of defining is to say that add one open bracket close bracket equals open bracket close bracket. This is the ter- terminal case again. If you have an empty list and you try to add one to that, you're going to get an empty list. And then the second one, second case is add one, uh, open paren x colon xs close paren equals x plus one colon add one xs. And that's it. So what, 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 what does this second, second definition mean? It means that when you are calling uh, at one with a list, that, and that yeah, when you are calling at one with a list that has elements on it, the x is matched to the first first uh, element on that list, and xs contains rest of the list. It might it may be empty list the XS or it may contain who who knows how many how many items. But but the thing is that the X is the first element of the list and XS is the rest of the list. And then we then we just say the result of this is X plus one because we want to add one to each of the list. And then we add that to list which we get by calling at one with excess. So basically we are adding one to the first element of the list and then we are adding calling recursively the add one with rest of the elements. And if there's elements left it it will go again come come to that second case, keep keep adding ones to the elements until comes our, our case where the there is no any, any more elements left in the list, then it matches to the first add one definition, returns an empty list, and the whole recursion stops there. You have to remember that if the, if if you write it 
this way, you are essentially you are reversing the list. If you have a list of one, two, three, and you feed it to this function, you're going to get back four, three, two. But this is one one way of processing our list, or looping, looping over it, doing things. And the third pattern is, no, sorry, second pattern that I talked earlier is that you take all these elements and do something to all of them to produce a new value. So if you, if you had a list and you wanted to add uh, all elements on it together, one way of doing it is, is to make a list sum all that takes integer, list of integers, and produces integer. The initial integer is the starting value that we are going to use. You could, there's some, we need that to accumulate, accumulate the res, results that we are getting while we go through, go through the list. So sum all. First definition is sum all n open bracket close bracket equals n. So if you have an empty list, then you are getting the, the initial value back or the, the n that was given. This is the terminal case. This means that the list has been processed or there was no list to process at all. Then the second case is sum all n open parent x colon xs close parent equals sum all open open parent n plus x close parent xs so this is the recursion part so if again the open parent x colon xs close parent matches a list first element of the list and the tail of the list and we calling it recursively sum all and in that accumulator part we are putting n plus x and then items to process, we are putting the tail of the list. So whatever we have accumulated so far, we add to the first element, and then we call to the sum all to the rest of the list. So this will go through a list, one element at a time, summing them up until you get final result in the end. And the third pattern that I mentioned is that you have some elements, that you are looping over and you are moving some of those into the another list. You are making decision that does this, is this an element that I'm interested in. Again, if we have list of indexes and want to produce a list of even indexes, we, we can do it by following definition V. Even only, open bracket, close bracket, equals, open bracket, close bracket. This is, again, the terminal case, the thing that stops the recursion. If we have an empty list, we are producing an empty list. Then there's the actual logic part, even only, open parent, x, colon, xs, close parent, equals. If even, x, then, x, colon, even only, xs, else, even only excess. Meaning, even is a function that when given
even number will return boolean if it's a even number or not. So if x is even, then we are returning. Now, now I should start thinking. Do I have a bug here? If we have a even there, then we would be returning x and then adding. No, there's no bug here. It's morning, so. Okay, so if even x, so if x is even, then x colon a even only x's. So if the x is even, then we are returning the x and the rest of the list that we have processed with even only. Else even only x's. So if x isn't even, then we are only returning the the the, the rest of the list that has been processed with even only. And this will rec recursively go through the list and pick up the numbers from the from the numbers even numbers from that list. And kinda kinda I have to try try out that it actually works like I like I thought it would work. Yeah. If called if I call even only with a list from one to six, I get back a list from with two, four and six. So it works. That's the that's the problem with the recursion sometimes that it might be a bit hard to wrap your head around how, how the thing thing goes. How how the logic goes in in it's pretty simple construct, but sometimes you just get a mind lock, or and then you're just going like, does this really work? What's what's going on here? But that's why we have more tools, because writing recursion by hand gets tedious, and sometimes it's hard to follow if you're not used to that. So, and we like to abstract common patterns and give them a name. Because then you can say that we are going to do thing X to this list instead of describing that we are going to do this recursion thing and it's going to work like this. So abstracting out common patterns and giving them names makes it easier to talk about those things when you know, when you know the, those names and they are common to with the people that you are talking to. And that's that's one thing that I have had trouble with the Haskell learning all the funny names for these things. <clears throat> so there are, there are many tools of doing these doing these things, but following three things will get you started. The first one was you are producing a new list. And for that there's a map. So in a general or even more general F map, but they in case of the lists they will work in the same way. So map is a function that takes a function from A to B and a list of A and produces a list of B. A and B can be anything. 
So function that can process the types of items that are in a list and produces a and that will produce a new list. So if we were to add one to a list, we could write that map open paren plus one close paren and then the list. And that's it. We, we are going to apply plus one function to a list of elements. And if we are going to call a map open paren plus one close paren open bracket one stop stop then close bracket then we are going to get a list from 2 to 11. Haskell has this way of that you can, uh, for example, with numbers, you can define a range by starting uh, with a starting value, uh, open bracket, starting value, uh, stop, stop, full stop, stop, whatever that's called, pista, and ending bracket, and ending value, close bracket. And this will produce a list of items from starting to ending. If you omit the ending ending value, you are going to get an infinite list. That works just fine. You are not going to run out of memory until you try to, for example, print that out on the screen. Or try to evaluate the whole thing. And, uh, for example, if you had a if you wanted to, uh, another another thing is that you can run mat odd list. For example, open bracket one, full, uh, stop stop ten, close bracket, and you are going to get a, a list of booleans that are going to tell if this value was odd or odd or not. Or, or even, so you're going to get a list of true, false, true, false, true, false, and so on. Another pattern I talk, talked about was uh, taking a list and compressing that to a one value, going through the, all the values and doing some calculation based on, based on those and reducing it to a single value. And for Haskell, there's a many functions for that course and they are, uh, all of them are fold something so there's a fold r fold l fold l prime and so on they all the basic idea of all of them is the same but there's a little bit of differences how exactly they are doing doing those things and the choice between them depends on how Big list you have and what kind of characteristics of the of the processing you are after. I'm going to include a link that talks about intricacies of the folds. Not not going to go through them here because I'm I'm not that good explaining them. I barely know barely know the difference between them. But these folds, they take a function, initial value, and a list, and then it produces, then it reduces the list into a single value. So it does that by applying the function 
to the initial value and the first first element of the list. And then it will take that result and apply the function again to that value and the next item of the list. And it will continue this until the list is empty and you are, you are left with the single value. So, for example, fold R is a it takes a function from A to B to B. So it's a function of two elements A and B that produces a B. It takes a B, that's the initial value, and it takes a list of A and produces a B. It's starting to be a bit, a bit long, type signature. And again, A and B can be anything. If we were called to fold R, open parent plus close parent zero open bracket one stop stop ten close close bracket we are going to get a value of fifty five because we are summing we are calling calling this plus function start, starting with the one plus uh, zero plus one and then plus two plus three plus four until we have summed all all of them together. This is so common, common pattern that there's a function called sum that will, if we give sum open bracket one, stop stop ten, close bracket, we are going to get that 55 back. It's that, it does the same, essentially the same thing. And then the, another fold is fold L. You, you can think that there's a fold R as a fold right and fold L as a fold left. And Fold L takes a, it works in the same way, similar way, that it takes a, but here the function is from B to A to B, and then initial value B, and list of A, and result is a B. A and B can be anything. So fold, fold L, open parent plus close parent, open, uh, zero, open bracket, one, stop, stop, ten, close bracket produces a 55 same result but here here if you if you compare the signatures the function in the fold r is from a to b to b and fold l is from b to a to b so they are doing doing the application in a little bit different well they are doing it in a opposite opposite order in the plus it doesn't matter because um, or let, let me rephrase in plus with small lists it doesn't matter which one you use because plus takes two two values of the same type so a and b is the same value in case of plus but if you have a list of say for example if you have a list of invoices and you're cal cal calculating a total of the invoices then a can be a a is a invoice and b is a uh, money that's a types and here here there you have to think how how you are going to construct it, what kind of function you are going to give it and are you going to use the fold r or fold l because the type has to match you cannot sum invoice and money you have to take the money part of the invoice 
and some eat the previous money to get a new money. Okay, so I'm going to include the link to the show notes that talk more about the folds, so that you 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 if you are interested, you can go through them in time. And the explanation there is much better than what I could be could do here. Uh, if you are interested on the intermediate values, because folds produce only a end, end result, there's a scanner that's similar to the fold. There's many scans, and they return the, instead of returning only the end result, they result the intermediate, intermediate results. For example, scan R is a, takes a function from A to B to B, initial value B, list of A, and produces a list of B. So if you compare that to the fold R, it's almost identical, but instead of producing a B, it produces a list of B. So let's try this out. If we were to call scan R, open parent plus close parent, zero, open bracket, one, stop, stop, ten, close bracket, we are going to get a list with which is 55, 54, 52, 49, 45, 40, 34, 27, 19, 10, and 0. So you can see that uh, the 55 is the end result. It's the same result that the FOD-R produces. And the next one is look it looks the same as a fifty five minus one and then it's fifty four and the next one is fifty four minus two which is forty nine and then it's forty nine minus four. I think I skipped one one there. But in any in any case it you can you can see that the right end of the list is the initial value zero. And then there's a 10, which is the last element of the list that we gave to it. And then there's the next element is pre, uh, one before the last element, 9 plus 10, 19. So it, the list here looks like that it is built from the right of the taking the rightmost value of the original list and adding it to the initial list and then taking the next to that and adding that. So it's kind of, it looks kind of backwards. But here you can see how the fold R processes the, processes the one. If, if, if you look scan L, then that looks like a fold L. So it's a function, it, it takes a parameter function from B to A to B, initial, initial value B, list of A, and produces a list of B. And if we use scan L, open parent plus, close parent, zero, open bracket one, stop, stop, ten, close bracket. So we are using scan L to plus list of one to ten. We are going to get a result of 0, 1, 3, 6, 10, 15, 21, 28, 
36, 45, and 55. So this 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 looks much much more like what you would expect to happen if you are summing uh, all elements in in a list together and putting them on the intermediate values of the onto onto the list. So which one to use again? It depends on the case. I I haven't really used scan pretty much never at all. Haven't haven't had a need for that. The last 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 uh, type that we were talking about, or last general pattern, was that you you have a list and you you want to take some values of that list and discard rest. So in for example in in when I was learning programming in a basic, I would have written a for loop that is from zero to the length of the array and then checked each element in that that index and doing a some check and based on that result of the check would have added that to the another array and incremented some counter to tell me what where to put next element. But uh here you cannot you cannot uh do that easily, so you can write that recursive definition that we did earlier, or you can use a general pattern called filter. This is this is a function that takes a function and a list, and it will return a new list where each element satisfies that that check. And for example, if we were called to filter odd open bracket one stop, stop, then close bracket. We would be processing a list from 1 to 10 and this taking only the values that are odd. So, and the result is a list 1, 3, 5, 7, 9. And if we wanted to know all the all the even numbers in the world, we can do that by calling filter, even, open bracket, one stop stop close bracket. So we are omitting the end 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 range. So that will produce a list that starts with two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen, and it it will go in in theory infinitely, but at some point you will run out of memory and it will it will crash your computer or crash the program. Uh how to deal with this is that if you want to see for example five Five first elements of that list. You can say take five dollar, filter even, open bracket one, stop stop, close bracket, and that will produce a list two four six eight ten. That take is a take is a function that takes a that takes two parameters. First is the number of items to take, and the second one is a list. And that dollar there is to is to uh, there's a I don't remember what it's called, but in es essentially it means that first evaluate the right side of this this definition and then put and use that value to the left side. You could replace that with a bracket, not not brackets, parents. 
So writing take five, open paren, filter even, and so on, close, close paren. But I like, I like using the dollar there. It, it, it's just there to, it, uh, it's just there to instruct that the right side of this part should be evaluated first and then the, use that value on the left side. Okay, uh, there's a, those are the basic ways of looping. Looping over a list, and as I said, the looping over a list and, um, sorry, looping from some number to another number and doing some operation is basic, basically the same as looping over a list of numbers. Uh, there's are even more tools. I could actually go through a couple of them quickly. I'm going to include a link of some 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 of them. So, in case you want to do some uh, list construction, you can use these. And when you can construct lists, then you can loop over them. And so, uh, no, I'm not going. I'm not going to give examples this time. Just a brief overview of what's available. These are in the prelude, that is the basic basic library of the Haskell. It, ha it contains all kinds of interesting things. So, first one is iterate. This is a, uh, this takes a function from A to A, and then takes a A and produces a list of A. And this is a funny function because it takes that initial value and it applies that function from A to A into that. And then it applies on the end result of that, it puts into the list, and then it applies A to A again to that, that value that you first produced, puts that into the list and applies the function again to that. So it's a, it keeps, a, it, it keeps uh, calling that function to those values that it it's producing and producing more more values. I don't know where to use this. It, I just caught my eye and looked interesting. Then there's a repeat. Takes a A and produces a list of A. And this will produce an infinite list of one item. I mean of one value. So if you call repeat with five, you are going to get an infinite list of fives. Replicate takes an int, an A, and produces a list of A. So this is a similar to repeat, but it creates a finite list. The first parameter controls how long list to create. And then there's a cycle that takes a list of A and produces a list of A. This will repeat, will uh, create an infinite list that repeats initial list that you gave it. So if you call it with 1, 2, 3, you're going to get an infinite list of 1, 2, 3. So 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3 are infinitum. And with those, those you can create different kinds of lists and then loop over them and do what you want to do. There's even more tools, of course, 
for specific situation. And it's all about now, now knowing or finding the right tools for the, for the situation. And there's a, luckily, you don't have to remember them immediately. You don't have to read a big, big, uh, thick book and memorize that. There's a, a tool called Google that is at the https colon slash slash google.haskell.org and that's a Haskell API search engine that's a really really useful tool I use it often all the time you can use that to search uh, if you know name of the function but you don't remember where to find that you can use Google to find that it tells you where it is in what in what which package and or if you have a general idea that you want to do something, but you don't know how to do that, you can use the Google to search search that. For example, you know that 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 you want. For example, if you if you if you wanted to, for example, you don't remember what repeat does, or rather, you don't remember repeat as a name. You could enter a search into the Google ARO list of A, and it would find repeat for you. So you, you can you can use that to search for the names that you know are, that are there. You can use it, and that's that's not only limited to the function names. You can search for types also, and you can also search for the type signatures. So if you have a general idea of what you want to do and you know how to express it in terms of the type signature, you can use Google to help you find a suitable function. And I'm I'm using that quite quite a bit to quite a bit to find when I when I suspect that there might this is this sounds so common case that there might be a function for this somewhere. So instead of writing that by myself I use Google. Okay, so that that I'm starting to ramble. So time to wrap it up. So to recap, Haskell is a functional language. All the data is immutable. You cannot you cannot change something as after it has been assigned or set. And that's because Haskell is a non-strict, meaning that the values are not evaluated or rather that values are evaluated at the last pretty much last possible point. When you are, when you need a value, you are going to evaluate it and not, not sooner. So you cannot if 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 a value could change, this would lead into all kinds of problems. But in Haskell, because all the data is immutable, you can Defer the evaluation to the last possible point. You, if if you are really thinking about what's happening under under the hood in Haskell program, you don't necessarily even know in what order your program executes. Because in Haskell that does not matter. Time does not matter. If you have a function that depends on, on only on the values that are on your computer, time or inside of your program, the time does not matter at all. As long as the things are evaluated when they are needed, that's okay. You don't need to know in what order they are evaluated. But when you start talking about 
talking about interactions, for example, writing to the disk or talking over the network or reading the user input, then, then of course, or printing to the screen, then of course the time matters awfully a lot. But that's a that's a topic for some other another time. So Haskell immutable data, regular for loops don't exist, but you can you can you have other tools at your disposal. The most commons are map, fold, and filter. And there's other tools that you can find with Google. Okay, that's all. Catch you later. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Thank you.